0: This one goes out to all the big Willies.
1: The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702 577
2: 2600. All right,
0: here we go. 4 o'clock hour, Cofield in, Willie and Adam Hill alongside. We're going to talk to Caleb Herring in about 20 minutes. Lots more football to get to. Good job in the first hour, guys. Let's do a giveaway now. Give Ari a call. Caller 7364-1100, 364-1100. A couple of tickets to the uh, Knot Fest Roadshow. That includes Slipknot and special guest Cypress Hill. That's Friday, June 17th, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Caller 7364-1100. If you don't win these tickets, you can get your own, AXS.com. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. AXS.com for the uh, big Knot Fest Roadshow. Friday, June 17th, Cypress Hill and Slipknot. How about we get into the frenzy? First of all, guys, how you doing?
3: Hanging in there. It's a good time. Good, fun first hour.
0: (laughs) Oh, he's always good fake enthusiasm from... Adam Hill, Uh, did you guys get wind of the excitement yesterday? And this is definitely something we're going to hit on with Caleb Herring, the former quarterback at UNLV and one of the voices of Rebel football. Did you get wind of the excitement about the latest quarterback in the QB room, a transfer to UNLV from Tennessee?
4: Sure. I got text message. I got somebody to message me on Twitter, replied on Twitter. Everybody's ready for spring ball. (laughs) I mean,
3: it's it's a new era, right? I mean I am
0: actually ready I, I am ready for I am ready for college football. Um I think we need a little bit of a break here, but Adam Harrison Bailey, this kid who was a pretty big time recruit and uh, there's there's differing stories of the interest from other schools about you know, where he could have landed. I mean, I just in a little bit of time watching him, uh just watching some spring ball with him playing. Um, certainly has some some tools, and at this level, may have a chance to be an impact quarterback. But go ahead.
4: Okay, listen. <clears throat> that may have come that may have come across sarcastic, but listen, I am genuinely excited for spring ball, and I'm gonna tell you why. I've said this before. After this past season with UNLV, and what are we all talking about when it comes to the Raiders this past week since the loss? About how Rich Bisaccia has the locker room, he has the players, and they're backing him. If there's one thing I came away with from the UNLV football season, even though there are some players that entered the portal, there are players that did leave, but the players showed so much competitive heart, and they seem to, for the most part, I'd say it have to be 80 to 85% of them, the ones that are still there, they seem to have come together, bought into the philosophy, and they're playing for a royal. They're playing within the system, and you saw it in close losses. You saw it when they won the those last or the their, the the two games that they won, and so I think that the, the roster that he has in place now, the guys that are he's bringing in, they want to be there. They want to play for him. So I'm somewhat intrigued and I'm somewhat excited to see what he can do now because they got through the COVID season. They said, "Hey, it was tough." they got through this season where they proved that they can win. Okay, now you're in your third year and it's your program for the most part and you have guys coming in, you have transfers coming in, you have recruits coming in. It's time to do something. Adam?
3: Yeah, I mean I I think more of the the chatter and I I can tell you this from, you know, from traffic and social media and website numbers as well that it's it's more who's gone from that room than Course. who's uh than who is coming in. Uh, people are all, you know, intrigued about the kind of the end of the Tate Martell era. Uh, with you and I, we even called that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this team is at a is at a point where they did some really, really good things, uh, especially at the end of last year, and there there should be some excitement about it. Uh, but it also, you know, I, I think people are definitely in a, you know, I need to see it first mode.
0: Should be. Yeah, they definitely should be. Mike McCarthy to speak again today and he said the same thing basically that he said after the game over the weekend that that was the right play call. I mean, what does he have to do for Jerry Jones to wake up and go that this just ain't the guy? Yeah, and- he doubled down. He doubled down on that stupid play call into the, the game.
3: I mean, in, in, at one level, you get what they were doing. um, But I, I think you can do it in a different way, especially because here's why I think it's particularly bad, because I will say. I would rather have one shot from there than two shots from where they were earlier. Maybe even three. I mean, you have a better chance of getting the score from there. But the way the defense was playing, they almost certainly could have just thrown it 12, thrown a 12 yard out and got out of bounds and had the same, exactly you know, accomplished the same thing. And exactly. so I, you know, I, I, Again, I understand if he's saying, hey, that was the right call because we wanted to get to that yard line so that we could actually attempt a real play instead of a Hail Mary. Yeah, makes sense. But I think how you got there is different. And and in and, you know, a lot of cases, hey, maybe you don't get that completion. Maybe it's tough to do that. But I think the way the defense is playing, you would have been able to get it. And you know, it, it's tough to throw a pass to the middle of the field because the one thing they had going for them with the run and the quarterback run in particular is they can kind of stay in formation. Like everybody moves up the field together – so yeah. you're, you can easily line up and snap it instead of having receivers all over the field in the wrong spot to get back. So that concept, in theory, is fine. But, you know, obviously, I, I think there was other ways to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish there. And in retro, in the heat of the moment, like, the thought makes sense. But when with time to think about it, that's when you can say, hey, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. But I, I think there are people that just feel like maybe McCarthy thinks, hey, if I say it's wrong... Now it's even more ammo to get rid of me. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what he's thinking.
0: Well, I also – I think the lead is being buried because when you run out of time at the end of the game and then you look at clock management during the game, I'm still flabbergasted by the fake punt that worked <laughs> and then for some reason some ego play that we're going to outsmart the little Shanny staff and and trick them into a timeout and you wasted like 45 seconds there. Like that's another thing. Hey, listen, I, I'm not I'm not here to – call for everyone around the NFL to be fired. These are real people. They have jobs. They have families. There's assistants who would lose their jobs as well. But I just think Mike McCarthy's reaction after the game. um, And then on top of that, the the stuff with both McCarthy and Dak. Now, Dak has apologized for saying good on the fans for throwing stuff at the referees. The excuse making is the thing that pisses me off the most if I'm a Cowboys fan. I just think from a culture standpoint, that is a weak-ass culture.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And, I mean, the results haven't been there, for sure. Uh, I mean, that's easy to see. Uh, haven't been to a conference championship game in forever. And, you know, other Francis's have been in that spot, but they don't have the same, you know, prominence and, and you know, I guess narcissism of that organization. Uh, it hasn't hasn't been great and hasn't worked for a long time. And they, I feel like one of the issues is that, you know, what is – The definition of insanity, just doing the same things over and over and expecting different
1: results, like, that's kind of what they are. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600.
4: Maloka grabs the loose ball and lays it back in over his head. Nice job by David. And, boy, that hurt the duck. The duck just grimaces. (laughs) And uh, did not like that at all.
1: Now back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio.
0: John Sandler, voice of the Running Rebels, loved the SJSU Duck. There's, I don't know, I don't know if it's a kid, an adult. We never got an unmasking, but there was a, a fan who sat by himself the entire game with a dry erase board with a duck mask on. And I guess uh, he's been at all the games. It was a rough night. It was a rough night. San Jose state, not a, uh, a great team right now. We'll see what Tim miles can do with the program. Cofield actually on the road. Colorado Springs getting ready for uh, in this condensed schedule, UNLV at air force tomorrow, Adam Hill and Willie are with us. You know, I saw a report. We're going to talk to Caleb Herring in about uh, five minutes here too. I saw a report on one website today, Willie, that, uh, the Steelers are ready to move forward with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. I don't know that I've seen a more ridiculous report right after the NFL season recently than that one. There is no way that's happening. None.
4: How could it? I mean, they need only look. This This dude's played in 17 games. He has 16 picks. He has a career uh, quarterback rating 80.9. And I just don't think that he has the the skill set or the enough experience, um, and or he's shown that he can lead, especially this franchise. And I just don't see Mike Tomlin accepting that. There's no way.
0: There's no way, Adam. Uh, we only have a couple minutes. Uh, I know you could do 90 minutes on this, but Mason Rudolph, future of the Steelers at quarterback. <laughs>
3: There's your answer. <laughs> I mean, is aren't they going to trade Mike Tomlin for Derek Carr anyway?
0: I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, I think they should be calling the Raiders. If the Raiders don't want Derek Carr, then the Steelers should be all over him. Steelers have to be on the trade market to get a quarterback. Mason Rudolph is barely a backup.
3: Yeah, I don't – I mean, I I would – if if I was cheering for a team, I would be upset if they signed Mason Rudolph as a backup. Yeah.
0: He's, he's shown nothing, and he – as you say all the time, seems to be kind of a low character guy.
3: Yeah, yeah, not a so. good combination.
0: Hard pass on that one. do not that, not that I'm all worried about you know my streak of going. Well, you should be worried about. It. You want to win every year, but he's got the streak going of never finishing under 500. Mason Rudolph to start off a of year as a starting quarterback, without you know anyone really good in the mix with him, is a recipe for freaking well, five or six wins.
3: Don't the Steelers if have not. a pretty good recent track record of low character individuals being successful at quarterback?
0: Well, not according to what was it NBC when they put up a graphic and they were just raving about Ben Roethlisberger and what a good guy he is. I could not believe they did that. It was like, come on, man.
3: Well, it's it's it's. I mean, yeah, you want to celebrate somebody when their career is over and they've had such a great career, but it's 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 disingenuous. We, I mean, isn't this? We've talked about it with other athletes too, and whether they die or have their careers end, like how much do you go into the negatives? And I feel like it was pretty. It's pretty egregious to ignore the negatives about ben roethlisberger
0: i want to find out what a quarterback thought of the end of the games both with the raiders and the cowboys so caleb herring is coming up on cofield and company
1: join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas
0: clock ticks inside of five takes the snap the season intercepted The curse of Bo Jackson comes to an end as Jermaine Pratt makes the interception.
1: Now, back to Colefield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio.
0: Brent not happy at the end of the Raiders game. Raiders fans not happy at the end of the game. We'll break down what happened, go back a couple of days, and talk about the plays that were run down the stretch, not only with the Raiders game, but also in the Cowboys game. Caleb Herring is in as our football insider along with Adam Hill, Willie, here on this Wednesday. I was just talking to Caleb about uh, Colorado Springs. I'm up here for UNLV and uh, Air Force tomorrow, and Caleb has uh, bitter cold memories of this place. I was just telling you guys that uh, the hotel location, there's not a whole lot around it, not complaining, but uh, I'm a big convenience store guy when I go on the road. I like to walk. Well, it's 20 degrees right now, and you got to walk up and down a hill, and it's not really a stamina thing, Caleb. It's more of a uh, down-goes-fatty. That I worry about uh, because, as you know, I'm, I'm built like a weeble wobble. And I, the last thing I want to do, I fell last year in Denver at the airport and I fell the year before in Colorado Springs because of the weather. So the last thing I need to, to do is be freaking sliding down some hill. In Can Colorado we get that Springs,
4: on video please. if it happens? i,
2: yeah, mean, I sure guess some in someone's, 2022 I guess someone's walking in video yeah. everywhere. Yeah, there is video <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, that. I it's, mean, so th- somehow that would end up on the um, internet, I'm sure. Right. So I, I hate, can attest right. to how careful you are with, with trying yes. not to be that guy. It's yes. So I, I feel for you. The struggle continues, right. man. Good luck out there.
3: It sounds like the altitude affects Steve's balance. You're falling in high altitude all the time. Denver, Colorado Springs, maybe that's it.
0: Uh, you know, maybe a gas tank issue. I may be gasping for breath, and then I kind of, you know, I get a little bit dazed. You know, I think we're at like 6,000 elevation here. I know Wyoming's the uh, the highest. Uh, UNLV basketball is not going to Wyoming this year, thank God, so I won't be all gassed out walking around the arena at 7,200 feet. All right, let's talk about the end of the game, Caleb, because I know I saw you comment on the play that was run, but just talk about the management down the stretch by Derek Carr and the Raiders, and I guess you can also throw in spiking on first down.
2: Yeah, so I, I was one who uh, was skeptical of the Raiders' prospects of winning that game last week. But on this show, I said it, that it would be tough, um, and I think – for the most part, the game went according to plan. They kind of hang around in there. I know a lot of people said, oh, there's are too many field goals. But they hung in there and gave their quarterback, Derek Carr, who is the guy, a chance to win it for the team or at least tie it for the team um, in the end. And I think, you know, considering what he has done in his career in those situations to score a touchdown, and get a field goal for the win with less than three minutes left on the clock, he's one of the best in the league at doing that. That's just a, a statistical fact, right? So they were in a good situation considering um, the way the season's gone to be on with a chance to win it with your offense with the ball. Um, the drive, the two-minute drive, actually went fairly well. They even got helped out with a penalty um, uh, that, that moved the ball down the field faster with no timeouts left to, to get the ball inside of the 10-yard line. Um, the way they did and as efficiently and, and as effectively as it did was, was good to me. Um, the first down spike, I've heard criticism of that, and that's, to me, just a two-minute drill uh, one-on-one situation where you're, you're going forward on fourth down. You're in striking distance. Time is the issue. You're under 30 seconds and really under a minute um, when you get a first down instinctively, especially with no timeouts. The priority is preserving as much time as possible. If you don't have a good play ready to go, if you're not absolutely ready to go, for that next play, you got to get up and spike the ball to preserve time with no timeout. So I, I have no problem with the first down spike. Um, it's just the next three downs essentially have to be shots at the end zone with 30 seconds and no timeouts. Right. So that's what the thinking was. So I don't have a problem with that part. I do come to a problem with the final play call of the game. Uh, essentially, out of a bunch of formation running the curl flat concept, it looked like it was mirrored curl flats with Waller and Renfro running the flat route and Zay Jones and Edwards running essentially stop routes at the goal line, and and that was going to be the best bet. The problem I have with that is that nobody's respecting or honoring a five-yard flat on the last play of the game when the five-yard out isn't in the end zone, right? That's number one. Number two, you don't put your best players in position to make the best play. Waller should not be on the five-yard. He should be the one running to the end zone. At least give him a chance, right? Uh, Renfro, the best route runner you got, he should be involved in the concept to get to the end zone. So that's where my problem comes. I mean, I understand you don't have timeouts. Um, Getting a good play call in isn't the easiest thing to do with, you know, a play clock breathing down your neck. But I honestly think they put Derek Carr with that play call in a bad position to not really have much to do. Nobody on that Bengals defense was respecting that concept and essentially running a a stagnant route into a a goal line seven coverage. Basically, everybody's defending the goal line. Um, it, it was just – that's why the street defenders around Zay Jones as he's trying to make that catch. It's just a, a lose-lose situation for the offense there, a miracle basically. So I think the play call on fourth down was my only flaw, and obviously it ended with the interception that ended the the Raiders' season. So outside of that, I think the game went pretty well for the Raiders, outside of the penalties that knocked them out of scoring chances. Of course, that made the, the game closer than it maybe should have been, and the Raiders maybe had a better chance of winning. But for that last drive, I actually – outside of the last play, I, I like the way the game went. So I, I feel like we could
3: probably do an entire podcast debating the spike on first down um, and you could give the perspective of an actual person that's been in that p- position and I could just do it from a mathematic perspective. Um, I thought it was completely silly at the time. Uh, I was, in fact, uh, people in the press box that were with me uh, were debating it with me. And as, as soon as they were running up to the line, I was like, please tell me they're not spiking this. Like, why are? You, why would you spike this? So I, I guess my question from an actual person that's been in that uh, on the field, would be how difficult would it be if you had a spike called to call it off, or is it every is everybody going to like hey we're going to go spike this? Because I will say the play before the ten yard game that they got to pick up first down it was on third and ten. They had an incomplete pass before that, so you could have had two plays called in the huddle, right? To say hey let's go get the first down and go. Now I guess the counter would be what if they don't pick up the first they need to get it on fourth. You know now you can't have two plays called they might be different plays. There's a lot going on there. What I'm saying is there's a lot of moving pieces. But to me, once you're there in that position, you can't spike it. And by the way, no team has ever spiked the ball with that much time left in a first-and-goal situation ever.
2: Well, yeah, there's that. Like I said, there's the situation that led to the first-and-goal, that like you said, that third-and-ten, you don't necessarily have the next play because third-and-ten is a pretty critical situation. You're thinking, what's my fourth down play if I don't get all ten of these? right? So that changes things. You have timeouts or do you not have timeouts? That's a critical part of this because – you have 30 seconds to essentially make these decisions or, you know, the play clock to, to make these decisions. Um, and then everybody has to be on board with those decisions. So I think the convention was and this is the first down part of it, the spiking it on first down in a two minute drive with no timeouts. That part of it comes not just in the goal line situation that comes when you're out in the field because, you know, you're going for it on fourth down. There's no doubt about that. The priority is the clock and preserving as much time as possible. Now, the reason that I would say you spike the ball on first down, why well, I would be in agreement with that decision, is because I want to make sure that the shots I get at the end zone are the best potential shots that I can take, right? Like I, And I need time to make those decisions. I need time to, to get that play together, not rushed up to the line of scrimmage and, and making that first play basically a, a thrown-together play where maybe there's a miscommunication, maybe somebody doesn't get the call, and I waste more time getting that call in, getting everybody lined up and set in the right formation, than I would have if I just spike it, get everybody up to the line, spike it, I save you know 10 seconds on the play clock or on the game clock, and now I can get a better play in, a more set play where everybody's on the same page coming out of a huddle to run my three plays to the end zone. So that's the thinking for me. It's more about... There's a time to hurry up. There's a time to hurry up and get there. Once you're there, it's time to settle down and get the most productive plays that you can out there. And I think that's the situation that I saw unfold. You got the first and goal situation. Now let's take our time and take three good shots at the end zone. Unfortunately, the th- the fourth shot or the third shot on fourth down wasn't a good shot at the end zone to me. That's where the error comes in. You have to make all three of those plays, shots at the end zone with a chance to win the game.
4: Speaking of game-ending drives and mistakes, we shift the focus to Dallas. (laughs) What the heck were the Cowboys doing at the end of the game? And the last play, you're a quarterback. I'm guessing Dak Prescott uh, should have had a little bit more knowledge of the time, when he should have slid, and how that play panned out.
2: Yeah, so – not just Dak, I'm not going to put it solely on Dak, but yes, he should have had more knowledge of the situation. The entire Cowboy offense Mm. seemed to not have an understanding. And then in the aftermath, the entire Cowboy organization seems to have a misunderstanding of the rules that should be common knowledge for a professional um, at that level. The official has to set the ball. (laughs) The difference between, potentially, between that call being the right call and the wrong call, I don't have a problem with, attacking the middle of the field, getting down, and and trying to get up and spike it right away. I don't have a problem with that. I would have preferred with the way that the Niners – out of a timeout, by the way, because the Niners burned a timeout before that play was snapped. So this is coming out of a timeout. The Niners lined up six defenders along the sidelines, three on each side, so the middle of the field is wide open. If I'm going to attack the middle of the field, it's much quicker, and we learned this in basketball when I was a youth, when I was a kid. It's much quicker to advance the ball with a pass than on the ground. And you said it earlier, Adam. If I wanted to attack the middle of the field for a 10-yard gain with no defenders in the middle of the field and my tight end, who's been my number one receiving option in the game so far, covered in the slot as a number three receiver, why not just run him on a free release 10 yards down the middle, let him catch the ball, give himself up, and get on the ball quicker and spike it that way? I, that's what I would have done if I wanted to attack the middle of the field. Do it through the air. It's quicker, right? Then... The bonehead part about the play is everyone should know that the official has to set the ball. And you see it every two-minute drill when people are trying to preserve time. The ball carrier gets up and finds the nearest official. He hands it to him. Everyone gets out of the official's way and allows him to set the ball. The reason that the Cowboys didn't get the snap off is because they're busy in formation before the official even touches the ball. From quarterback to center, both players who are around this situation the most should know that the official is the one that has to spot the ball. Get out of his way. Let him do his job. That's where the error comes. I, I really don't have an issue with the draw call, catching him off guard, especially with the way the Niners lined up out of that timeout. I have no issue with that. It's the lack of knowledge, preparation, and really clock management, which we've said time and time again for Mike McCarthy and this, this Cowboy team has been an issue. And we said it's going to come back to bite them, and it does on the <laughs> final play of the Cowboy season. Now, 1-2-3 Cancun. You, you let the Niners <laughs> off the hook and you had a chance to really pull off something miraculous in the fourth quarter, and your own ignorance really cost you the game. Not to mention your lack of discipline through all the rest of the four quarters. Don't blame the officials for the last play of the game and getting in your way, quote-unquote getting in the way and running into you, when you are the most penalized team in football. You do not get to say anything about the officials when you have defensive ends in the fourth quarter tackling offensive linemen right in front of the, the officials. You don't get to say anything about the officiating. You're not doing your job. As professional athletes, as professional coaches, you're not getting it done, period. I don't want to hear anything from the Cowboys. I don't want to hear them handling the press the way they – like little children who can't possibly take the blame for what's going on in the Cowboy organization. You have let your fans down for 25 years, and you want to talk about the officials and one of the most bonehead plays to end a football game in the playoffs ever, and you want to talk about the officiating? Give me a break. Take responsibility. Somebody in Dallas needs to take responsibility for the mediocrity that's been coming out of Dallas for the last 25 years. Who's going to step up and do that? That would be that would be impressive because I haven't seen it yet. Take ownership of the lack of preparation, the lack of clock management, and the lack of know-how when it comes to winning football games, especially in the playoffs. That's my rant about the Cowboys. I'm done.
3: <laughs> well, to be fair, if Usain Bolt was the umpire, they would have got another snap.
2: <laughs> yeah if say Poe came out of retirement, they get another stab but the fact is <laughs> that umpire actually busted his butt to get there and tried to run through two pretty big guys in order to do his job so without impeding his progress he gets that ball set i'm pretty sure with with a second to spare but i mean like i said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give the cowboys any sort of leeway with the way that game ended that was that was uh, uh, that was that was the perfect Exclamation point to what the Cowboys have been for twenty five
4: years—just
2: mediocre, yeah, just terrible. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know.
3: I think we'll discuss more aspects of this uh, Troy Aikman comment later, but I just want to get your take as as a quarterback who has played. Troy Aikman made the case about not getting the ball to Ceedee Lamb and essentially said that you know in his day, if you're just playing soft coverage on a guy, you're just you're just taking the snap and throwing it out to him, and you're getting him ten catches before before halftime. Uh, but because teams now are so concerned with their scheme and just running what they run, they don't take advantage of those sort of situations anymore. Is there anything to that?
2: Absolutely. I, I think I don't know. I don't know if Troy Aikman said it in the right spirit. I would have to have hear the whole conversation. I read the quote, but I, I need to hear the the whole context of the conversation. But there's truth to it. Absolutely. There's an ego kind of trip, or there's a a need to prove yourself as a coach in the nfl or as a coordinator in the nfl because potentially looking for that next job like kellen moore in this in this instance he's a front runner in a head coaching race i think if if my memory serves me correctly but there's a lot of that that goes into coaching decisions and scheme setups whereas sometimes the game and i've said this i've said this countless times football is not a very difficult sport as far as scheming things up and i think there's some things that People do and coordinators do that get in their own way. If You have a guy that's just a dynamic athlete. Your goal should be to get him the ball in space, period. And you see the best teams that do that where you look at what what Kansas City does with with Hill. They, they get him the ball in space. They scheme situations for him to have the ball in space, for him to be one-on-one, for their tight end, for Travis Kelce to be one-on-one with a linebacker. That's the scheme. That's all the scheme should be. The scheme is not And another go for the Cowboys for a second because I hate them right now uh the third and six there's a third and 16 in the first quarter i believe the first half where they call basically a hook and ladder play where wilson is running across the field and he catches a pass and he's does the, the play is designed to throw the ball as a lateral back to the running back out of the backfield on the other side of the field that was a designed play where you're scheming up for whatever reason some trick one of my favorite words to use you'd scheme something up that really is complicated for no reason like, I'd rather just give CeeDee Lamb a chance one-on-one against a guy to get me 16 yards, right? So that's where schemes tend to hurt. And I think a lot of the times football is as simple as throwing to the guy in space, finding the guy who has a one-on-one matchup, or just running the ball because we're bigger, stronger, and faster, and we have Ezekiel Elliott. Like, those kind of things are what I think teams like the Cowboys and Kellen Moore sometimes get in the way. Sean McVay was, was guilty of this in his early days with the Rams where it was all Sean McVay scheme. Sometimes it's as simple as get your guy the ball in space. And that's why some of the biggest plays that ever happen in football are on scramble drill plays where, uh, you know, Pat Mahomes extends the play and then finds Tyreek Hill. The reason that is, is because football becomes so much more simple in that case. The receivers are just thinking, run to open space, get open. Like, I don't, it, there's no scheme there. It's just, hey, run to the open space. And then there's a big play waiting to happen there. So there's absolutely truth to what Troy even says. Sometimes the game is as simple as go to the open space, pick your matchup, go to your best guy. Nobody can guard him. Look at, look at chase in with Cincinnati, nobody can guard the guy. If he's one-on-one, I'm taking my shot with him. That's all it's, that's the scheme. It's sometimes that simple. And I think the ego of offensive coordinators in the NFL at times gets in the way of saying that was the game plan. And that's how we won. We went to our best player until they decided to stop him and they never did. So yeah, there's absolutely truth to what Troy can said.
0: Okay, Larry's with us. All right, give us your opinion on uh, Marcus Royal landing a transfer quarterback, you know, former big-time recruit from Tennessee, Harrison Nelly. Uh,
2: I, I think it's a good landing. I think there's some reaction I, for good reason. I think this is a, a, a continuation of a long line of of good landings as far as the recruiting process for Marcus Arroyo, and this is – I, I think looking at at Bailey and where he comes from and the the rankings out of high school and all that stuff and the fact that he's played uh, at the power five level at, at a Tennessee university that's that's you know obviously well known for football not not as much in recent years but um, I think the fact that he had experience at that level I think started six games as a freshman didn't play uh, coaching changes in the politics of football probably had something to do with why he wasn't involved as much this season. Um, but I think he's he's got tools. He's got things in his that I've seen in the film, whether it's the spring game or an in-game at Tennessee, that he's been able to put on tape. Um, he's got some tools. And I think more importantly, I, the things I've seen on film, I can see where he fits or how he knows or understands the mechanics of the Arroyo offense that we've seen so far. Um, some of the snaps that he's taken look very similar to the plays and the concepts that UNLV is trying to, trying to uh, initiate in their passing game. Um, and... He's shown that he can do it. He looks like comfortable in that system. So that's a plus as well. Um, and then the quarterback room we've seen has been very fragile. The depth with injury with UNLV, obviously. Um, we don't really have a for sure answer of if any one of the current quarterbacks and, and with, with Friel having the year he had and Doug um, being in and out of the lineup, we're not sure if any of those guys are for sure the guy. I think of those options, you'd say Doug is the guy. But throwing another player into the mix, one who can potentially sharpen that quarterback room, push it to a new level, and maybe even walk in and win the job right away, uh, That I think that's where you put yourself in that position. I think that's a good thing for the nature of that quarterback spot, which was, I think, better quarterback play. Rebels win three of those games that they lost. I mean, those close overtime games, fourth quarter games, I think you could say better quarterback play definitely gets – a couple of wins that that were on the table for UNLV to have last season. So I, I like it. I like the commit. I'm not over the moon about it because a lot is yet to be determined. One piece on the chessboard doesn't determine the outcome, um, and I don't know if, if if Bailey is that queen type chess piece, but we'll see. And I, I'd love to see how he fits in the system. And I think anytime you enhance the roster with talented players, it's a win for the program. So keep stacking those dominoes, and eventually we'll, we'll have what we're looking for in UNLV football. here. Yes.
0: You want to speak to Tate Martell retiring from football? You know, people kind of laugh at him, smash him. I don't know. I don't. think It's cool. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why people play Tate Martell so much. Uh,
2: you know, I I don't either. And I, I I'm I I understand why people in Las Vegas would maybe have a misunderstanding or maybe rush to judgment in this situation because. Tate Martell didn't necessarily give much to UNLV football. And I, I understand that angle of this, but as a player who devoted my life to the game for 18 years um, plus, because, you know, counting college and a little bit mm-hmm. towards the pros, um, the decision to walk away from football was the hardest thing I had to do. Um, And it, it takes a toll on you. I, I mean, you, you've been characterized as something. This is all, you know, this is the life, you know, I will never, ever in my, this has been a, Something that I've committed myself to, and my, and my journey in life to to give back to athletes and student athletes and such, I will never criticize someone's decision to walk away from the game, whether it's by force, or it's by their own decision making, because I understand that that transition in life is tough. It's very tough, especially from the heights that Tate Martell came from, and his fall from grace, so to speak, throughout his 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 tumultuous college career. I will never bash a guy for me. I hope him nothing I wish him nothing but success. And you've heard me say this about other guys who've moved on from UNLV and, and gone on and done whatever. I wish nothing but success for Tate Martell. I wish the transition that he's making from being a, a full-time student athlete or football player his whole life. I hope the transition into society is easy, is comfortable and is, is he finds himself a, a new role in life because it's a very hard time. You look at what, ex-athletes end up doing a lot and this i'm not i don't know the statistics but if just based on my stories and in my memory what happens to athletes after football a lot is very sad to me um and to, so when somebody makes that decision i understand that the journey for them is is going to be a tough one going ahead so i'll never bash a tate Martel for his decision he's going to move on and do whatever he does that's his life that's his decision that's what he's going to do and it, it's not my job to judge or condemn him for that so Good luck to Tate Martell. And and honestly, my opinion, shame on those who are criticizing him or bashing him for making the decision and, and owning up to the decision to retire from football and walk away when he sees the writing on the wall. So good luck to Tate Martell. Caleb, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, you have a good one.
0: There he is, Caleb mm-hmm. Herring. All right, come on, we got more reports on Jim G- Harbaugh to talk about. Join the conversation
1: on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company.
0: I don't care if the sun don't shine. I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. All right, five <laughs> o'clock hours on the way. We'll get to some of the breaking news, some rumors out there now about Jim Harbaugh and the Raiders and what may happen at Michigan. But wanna remind you we got playoff football this weekend and you can hang out with Willie, party. And enjoy the ladies of Twin Peaks. ESPN Las Vegas is going to be at Twin Peaks this Saturday, 5 o'clock. You got the Niners and the Packers going at it. Awesome food. Happy hour up until 7 o'clock. That means the big beers are under 4 bucks. There's always shot specials. Great prizes, including a chance to win a pair of tickets to see the Golden Knights and the Sabres play on February 1st. So 5 o'clock start. Twin Peaks on Eastern in Henderson. 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock with our own. Willie Ramirez, uh, Adam Hill, are you seeing this report from one Bruce Feldman? It's another one of these. If that, then this. Um, nothing, you know, real solid. But Bruce Feldman, college football guy, is saying sources inside Michigan think Jim Harbaugh would take the Las Vegas Raiders job if offered. Yeah, there we go. I, I mean, it's sources.
3: Not, yeah, and it's not. It's not too many qualifiers there. You know, it's it's fairly simple saying like that's the job he would take. Um, I, I thought it was. Somewhat interesting earlier that, you know, Ed Dodds from the Colts decided to uh, withdraw his name from the Bears consideration because a lot of people have made that connection to say, well, where Dodds goes, former, you know, used to work with Harbaugh a little bit, has some connection to him. Maybe they're a package deal. And perhaps, you know, he was the can- candidate in both Chicago and Las Vegas. And if he's out of the Chicago job, that means he's taking the Las Vegas job and uh, that then Jim Harbaugh would come with him. I think that's jumping to a lot of conclusions. Um, but I, I you know, it, it, it is, I think every day you see these new little things are like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's interesting. And today it's, it's this report, uh, that just came out, you know, in the last couple of minutes, as you mentioned that Harbaugh would take this job if offered. Um, it could either mean that there is strong sources that that's the case and that Harbaugh wants this job and he'll take it. It could also mean, Hey, rumors are dying down a little bit. How do we get a little bit more out there? Because this has always been about getting more money from Michigan. Like that, that is something that a lot of people believe about this coaching search and the potential interest that Harbaugh has. Uh, So if you believe that, that he's using it as leverage, this could just be, Hey, let's further this story and make it look like a more credible thing because this isn't working the way I wanted it to in terms of leverage.
4: And I'm not sure if I, it's everything's possible, but I, I, I tend to believe that the leverage angle is, is is could be done with others that pursue, but I th- I I tend to lean that if this is the, this is the one job that he's going to leave Michigan for. I don't think that there's any other job that Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan for, not off of what he did last season, and not with the potential payday that he's got in front of him if it were to be in Las Vegas, because I still think that this is the most attractive job. I've I've said this, been saying this, in that. Over the last four and a half years, we have seen and heard from whether it's players or Deboer that when the Vegas Golden Knights the opportunity to be a part of that organization, I think now the same is gonna start being and hold true with the Raiders. Whether it's players wanting Willie, to Willy, Willie, yeah. Willie,
0: though, do we do we want to compare and contrast Bill Foley's rep as an owner? Which isn't flawless. But Bill Foley's rep is an owner. I'm and not comparing
4: owners. Davis, what I'm talking about is being able. Well, that to but that play, part, play that's part this- of
0: that's part of a job being attractive. Not just because it's in Vegas. That's part of a job being attractive. No, who the owner is.
3: Yeah. Whether you think he'll have support from them, I mean, that that does play in. But I I I do think that Mark Davis has shown, especially recently. I don't I don't know if you could judge Mark Davis, the owner, from Mark Davis in Oakland.
4: Yeah, I think. I, I don't think that, I, I think that people would, I think Mark Davis is showing a lot of support for, I mean, yeah, he just got rid of Mark Mayock, but I mean, that's, that's part of the past. I think that uh, part of the Oakland past, part of the Gruden past. I think that this is a different town, different Mark Davis, and I think that people want to come here.
0: Adam, have you heard Harbaugh mentioned for any other NFL job?
4: No, Bears and Raiders, that's it.
0: So the Bears are in on this.
3: Well, I think that that uh, I'm I'm not saying it's happened the last couple of days, but early in the process it was if Harbaugh goes to the NFL will he take the Chicago job or the Raiders the, the, job. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's there's intriguing ties to both for for him. I mean, uh, obvious ties to the Bears organization and and being in the Midwest where he seems to enjoy. Uh but I think he's always had kind of an infatuation with the Raiders and I you know, I know that the team has always been Intrigued by him, I think that that the Raiders always made a little bit more sense to me. Um, even though the Bears, you know, the people people that thought the Bears were attractive because they have a young quarterback that was a you know high draft selection that Harbaugh is very familiar with from having uh, you know lost to him a couple times. Um, that could you know having that kind of you know athlete and talent to work with could be intriguing for a coach. But I think the Raiders, even though they're a little bit more uncertain at that position. Uh, have a lot more things going for them, including living in Las Vegas. I think that needs to be a part of this for anybody that's on the market for a job.
0: Are we really objective uh, on the living in Las Vegas thing?
3: No, but it's it's true.
0: <laughs> no, we're not objective, but it's true. Like, you can't see anywhere where someone would be like, yeah, I don't want to live in Vegas. God, no. Uh, no but, possibility? No. Uh,
3: but I also, well, I mean, listen, It's khakis are hot in the summer, so I guess maybe. Uh, (laughs) But no, I mean, I think if you're, you know, if you're making a checklist and you're kind of scoring everything on a one to ten, like, you know, fit for the job and, you know, new facilities and stadium and you're, you know, grading one to ten on everything, I think I would say, you know, Las Vegas as a a place to live is like a 32 out of ten, and maybe it's only ten for some people. That's fine. But it's not any lower than that.
0: Willie, can you see the other side? No. Where people are like, yeah, I don't want to live in Las Vegas? No.
4: No, because you've seen – because every time somebody gets comes out here, they're not talking about wanting to come here, and yes, because it's glamorous and it's Las Vegas and the Strip and so on and so forth. It's It's especially the family men are saying – there's so and and you know what to go even further. Even the professional women, the WNBA players, it's there's so much more to Vegas than the strip. There's so much more to do. There, it's it, you you didn't realize it till they got here. So no, and and even though we get some chillier times and and it can get cold in the winter. In the last decade, it's gotten colder. I mean, when I was growing up here in the '70s, we had some record snowfall days. But for the most part, the climate, okay. The tax situation. No, I cannot see somebody saying, "Gosh, I would. I don't want to move there." I mean, for what? Why? Why would they say that? You tell me why they would say that. I can't see it.
0: Five o'clock hours on the way. We'll we'll continue on this uh, after five, as we'll also get into more of the news around the Raiders GM opening.
1: Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.